Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, Some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws, well, they both look pretty badass and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge when you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees look at assaultlimited.com also sponsoring today's podcast is urban savage urbnsvg.com the best quality apparel available american made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3EQUIP.com. A3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion, a lip balm, a hair conditioner, honestly, anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3equip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about get squared away spiritual get squared away emotional get squared away mental Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right. All right. Holy crap. Episode 52. One year of weekly episodes minus one week off because we were not able to get together and record an extra episode for my week off. Yep. Your week off at the uh, woke Disney woke disney oh my god i got a story for you and this is a this is a good good squared away podcast story because uh it's it's keeping your cool keeping your head on your shoulders and and getting through an issue right so we're driving to disney because we are gonna we're gonna we're going to disney but then from disney we're gonna go to savannah see my brother-in-law hang out with them for three days and then drive home so to actually fly to disney or fly to orlando rent a car do Disney for three days, drive to Savannah, hang out there and then drop the car off and fly home. It was like three grand, four grand. It was an obscene amount of money. So we're like, all right, we're just going to, we're going to bite the bullet and we're going to drive, right? Feels expensive, 800 bucks down and back, but it's going to save us, you know, three grand, 2,500 bucks, something like that. So, so I go through, 
check all the oil, check everything, change the oil, get a new air filter, like cars pretty much ready to go. I think we're leaving Friday around noon. I think Tuesday I get a text from my wife. My brakes are squealing. I'm like, shit. <laughs> like, all right. So I was like, I'll, when I come home, I was like, I'll jack it up and see if it's just a, cause a lot of times you'll get a rock in there oh, and, yeah. or see if the pads are just low enough that I can just flip them. Cause the inside oh, pads, the inside pads wear long quicker than the outside pads. So I'm like, all right, I'll just see if I can flip the pads, whatever. Yeah. So I get there and get home, jack it up, check the rotor. The inside of the rotor is like gone on the front rotor. It, yeah. So let's say that the braking surface on the inside of a Tahoe rotor is two inches, yeah. right? The outer half inch on both sides is just gone. So I've got a braking surface. that's half as big as what it's supposed to be. And the rest is rotted off. Jeez. Right. I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay. Well, I guess here we are. So you can go to like the local parts store and you can get their crappy brake best select parts for the price, you know, of that you can get like, um, the AC Delco professional parts. If you order them online, I'm like, well, if I order from rock auto, clearly it's not going to be here in time. So I check Amazon. Amazon's like $10 more than rock auto, but it'll be here in one day. So this was Wednesday when I was going to order and it would have been here Thursday. We're going to leave Friday. Right. Yeah. So I order everything for the front and the back. Cause I wasn't sure if I was going to need back, but I was like, screw it. Like I'm going to eventually need back. Yeah. Just order it all in one, one foul swoop. So Wednesday night, I take her car apart, take rotors off, pads off, got everything just hanging, ready to go back together when the parts show up Thursday, because then we're going to leave Friday at noon and I have to work from like, I, I started work at like five in the morning that day so that I could be done at a good time. Everything shows up. She's like, it's here. And it, my Amazon is telling me like, you know, half of it showed up, but what happened was the front pad showed up and one of the front rotors showed up. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm, I'm starting, like, I started getting fucking nervous. I started freaking out. I'm like, all right, where's the other rotor? Because what's happening is on the Amazon thing, it's not updating. It's not telling me where it is. So I'm like, I'm like, all right, it's Thursday, put everything back together on the one side, get the other side ready to put back together. I'm like, all right, I'm either going to put it back together with a janky rotor, or I'm going to try to find this rotor from one of the local car places yeah. and then just return it when it comes in. Nope. Can't find it. So I start, I'm like, all right, well, I guess I could just buy another rotor, an off-brand crappy rotor, right? And just yeah. put it back together. But then I start looking and it's like the rotor is in shipment between Illinois and Sun Prairie. And this is Thursday night. And I'm like, all right. So I try to figure out who's shipping it. The post office is shipping it. So I decide before the post office opens up Friday morning, I get in line and I'm waiting. And I'm the first person in line. And this pregnant woman really nice pregnant woman comes like strolling up she's like how can i help you i'm like i realize that this is really out of the ordinary but i have this tracking number and if you put it on a truck i am not going to have it in time i have to take my kids i'm leave, supposed to leave today at noon <laughs> to drive to florida I'm like is there any way you can find this tracking number and she's like well i'll see what i can do big box little box i'm like it'll be a pretty big box and uh about 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, she comes strolling up with like this big basket. It was both rear rotors. And I felt so bad because this is a pregnant woman. And this is the rear rotor box was like 50, Ooh. 60 pounds. Yeah. And uh, rear rotor box and the front rotor. I'm like, yes. So I grab it, run home, throw it on, go finish my work. We ended up only leaving it a half an hour late. 
Oh, wow. But like I could have freaked out. I could have thrown it back together shitty, but yeah. like I kept my head on my shoulders and I was like, all right, let's problem solve this problem. Right. And, and it was like, this is just a little day to day problem, but it's that whole problem solving mentality that if you can get good at and you can stay calm, it can actually develop into being able to do this daily, right. With all your problems. Yeah. Not getting worked up. But so then, yeah, we drove to Disney. Um, it was good. That's a, that's a long drive. We drive overnight. Um, slept for like an hour and a half in a hotel parking lot and then finished the drive in the morning. And that's like a down and back. We did the same thing. And that's like a, you're in like a weird coma when you've only slept for an hour and a night and you're still up the next day. Like you're, you're there, but you're not really there. Yeah. (laughs) So hung out the water park, did Disney Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So Sunday did animal kingdom. Monday did Hollywood studios. Tuesday did, uh, the big one. What's the big magic kingdom and do epcot center too no epcot there's nothing at epcot there's no reason to go to epcot unless you're a grown-up and you want to go drink around the world like there's nothing for kids at epcot soren is kind of a cool ride we did it last time but like everything else there waste of time um but animal kingdom pandora is awesome we got to ride the avatar ride twice um pretty much did everything we wanted to do there other than the yeti ride which was closed Hollywood Studios is now like the flagship because they put the Star Wars land there and Toy Story land is there. So like that is almost more popular than Magic Kingdom now. So hindsight, if you guys are ever planning a Disney trip, this is like Disney Mom 101 here, right? Figure out how to stay at a Disney resort for not paying Disney resort prices. So go through a travel agent or find an online deal. Stay at a Disney resort because if you're staying at a Disney resort, you get into the parks a half an hour to an hour earlier than everybody else. Oh, so right. let's say the park opens at eight. You get in at seven 30. If you're there at seven and you're in the front of the line to get in a half hour early, right when seven 30, when the line opens up, you can go because each park only really has two or three like flagship rides, like the rides that are two hour, two and a half yeah. hour waits. You can get both of those done. If you're, if you're there for the initial pre-opening rope drop, you can get both of those done before the park gets busy and then just enjoy yourself for the rest of the day. Yeah. We did not do that. Oh, we, you didn't we did do not. That. Oh, this I is hindsight. This is learning. That. This is learning from my lot, learning from uh. my mistakes here. Um, but then also if you go back late at night, so if the park closes at nine and you get in a line at eight 58, you are going to ride that ride. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a two hour wait, Yeah, like you're in line. So what they do is they overestimate the weights at the end of the night to kind of keep people from wanting to sit there. So we were in line for the star Wars rise of the resistance ride, which is like the biggest flagship ride. We're talking like two and a half hour, three hour wait all day. Yeah. We're in line. We would have ridden that ride in about 70 minutes. So about an hour and 10 minutes versus it said it was going to be two hours, but that ride has so many moving parts that it breaks down multiple times a day. Oh, really? So we get into the big open area with all the stormtroopers lined up and they're like, sorry, folks, the ride is currently unoperable. You can basically get a fast pass for tomorrow, which we weren't going to be there tomorrow, or you can wait. We're like, fuck it. We'll wait. And it was about a half hour and they had it working again. But um, so if there's anything you want to ride, you can go back late at night and ride it. So we close the parks down. So. Well, you have to close it down because they do the light show at the to like the Magic Kingdom. Right? Magic Kingdom is the light show. That yeah. is the best part of the whole trip. That that 
fireworks along with the lights along with the music like it is the coolest thing the way that they project everything on the castle like and you're there with your family it's just both times we've been that's been like the highlight of our trip yeah so dang but seventy five thousand steps in three days <sighs> i bet it was we piled it in um and then drove to savannah and just hung out savannah's a beautiful town yeah um super artsy because there's a art college there which gives it a little bit of a i mean little oddballness right a little eclectic it's very eclectic but it's cool yeah like the art galleries are cool like it's it's a cool spot and then drove home and made it 25 minutes from home and then got a speeding ticket oh really oh yeah how bad Eh, 15 over Ooh, that's, that's not too bad i was only going 10 over the whole way home and then i like jacked it up to go around like two cars in a semi and in front of the semi was a cop oh, so like really? i almost merged in front of him and i'm like oh, oh all right here we go Oh, really? Dang, like, was there a man. reason you were going so fast? I was like, because I've been in the car for 15 hours and I want to be home. He's <laughs> like, well, thanks for your honesty. What I should have said, I should have went the comedy route and been like, well, you know, I'm bringing my kids back from a week at Disney. And I figured I didn't quite spend enough money. So I thought I'd want to get a little speeding ticket to add <laughs> on to the expenses. He probably would have understood. Right. He probably would have. All depends. Yeah. I don't know if you got a young or not. So, so that's why there was no episode last week because we were gone Friday through the whole next week to Sunday. So we were not able to get an episode in there. So that's why there's a missing week of episodes, guys. Sorry. Yep. We apologize. My fault. My rest and relaxation caused that. <laughs> but brought to you by the woke Disney. Woke Disney. Yeah. And it's weird, right? Because there, we were there during the walkout and we were there during the um, protest, but we didn't see any of that. Oh. I, the, I don't know what the protest it was it because of the uh, don't say gay bill it's because of the don't say gay bill say, don't say gay bill well i mean it kind of is right like, like that's a funny way to that's a funny way to say the bill what the bill is about but the bill is about leaving the choice to have those conversations for parents for kids up to third grade and then yeah. i think it was like third grade to 13 or third grade to 12 it has to be age appropriate which i'm 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 weirded out when they write laws with that sort of language in it, age appropriate. Like who gets to decide what is age appropriate? Like that's going to be a litigation thing moving forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, basically what they want to push being able to have the, uh, the school talk to your kids before the parents without parental consent yeah. or consent. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, I hate it. It's, it's stupid. It makes me not want to support Disney at all, but. No, Disney, they're they're they are protesting Disney because Disney is supporting the don't say gay bill. Disney CEO came out and supported what? the don't. Yes. Are you so, sure? Yes. So it's the left. The left is picketing Disney because Disney's CEO supports the bill. Yeah. But have you seen the latest with uh, DeSantis and the CEO of uh, Disney? They're kind of bickering back and forth. Well, I'm sure that the CEO, after saying he supports the bill, is probably she. she okay, doing some some uh, yeah because damage she, control, right? Like piss people off, so now she's doing damage control. Yeah, she went online with you know obviously mainstream media, also, and she's like, well, you know, I have two kids that are gay, and you know they have a friend who's a trans, and it's like, well, okay. You know, you can do whatever you want in your closet, but, you know, stop trying to push everybody else to do it. Stop trying to tell everybody else's kids, you know, how they need to be. And and let's let's face it, because the 
we treat this issue like it's black and white. We treat it like you are gay, not gay. You're trans, not trans. The, the reality is, is it's an extremely gray area. There are people that are 100% living in the wrong body. They're emotionally the opposite sex. But I think that that is a small handful of the people. I think that there's also a lot of people that at that age, especially that are doing it because it's the end thing. They're doing it because it gets attention. They're doing it because they're emotionally damaged because of a fucked up childhood. Right. And that doesn't take away from that doesn't take away from the amount of people that it is black and white. They are very gay or very trans, but it also means that we need to be realistic about the situation. And every single person in that situation is going to be a little bit different and it's going to be a different story. And the fact that the school thinks that they are able to put a cookie cutter approach towards it is bullshit. Yeah. The problem is, is we have parents like you or I that are involved, right? But we're also the exception to the rule because there's a lot of kids that go to these schools that do not have parents that are involved at all. Right. And and there's a lot of variables, but bottom line, it comes down to is why is society, I mean, being a minority myself, uh, I'm an executive who's hired, you know, I've had people that were, uh, you know, I've had a lesbian uh, upper level manager. I've had, uh, you know, a gay, um, I forgot what position I had him in, but I think it was something doing the finance side. But to me, it didn't matter. They no, did, they, not at all. They did the job. I yep. mean, it's just like the military. It doesn't matter what they do outside of, you know, the mission. So everybody's on the same page. And if they're there to protect you, you really don't care what they did. Yeah. But uh, it seems like the government and the media, it seems like the elite mass is trying to use this to, you know, divide the people. And it's the affirmative action that we saw in the 90s that just didn't work, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's tough for me to as a, you know, 40 year old white male to sit here and and talk about this because I really I I have no fucking I have no grounds in this situation. But I have read studies about affirmative action and it clearly from African-American colleges that did that did that did these studies. I think it was Brown something from the southern. It was one of the southern African-American colleges like affirmative action did not have positive influence. But we're still sitting here where the NFL is voting on a bill that the owners are going to pass that is basically affirmative action. It's saying you need to have women in management positions. You need to have minorities yeah, in management so many black coaches. And, yeah, right. And yeah, just, just to have that, just to have a female, just to have a minority versus having the best person in the position for right. the job. And that standard was, you know, set by the recent uh, SCOTUS uh, nominee. I mean, when you start from the top saying, well, I need a black female, black woman and which is kind of funny because she couldn't define what a woman was being a black woman that was chosen as a black woman it's just yeah when you start pointing all this stuff out and putting a microscope on it then it just it creates more division where like i said being in 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 the executive level and the c-suites it's just like you didn't care yeah i didn't care yeah so whoever does the job, you really didn't care. Everybody went home and did their thing. And some people probably, who knows, put lipstick on or serial killers. But at that point, I don't know. And that's I think that's one of the positive things that comes out of the military board system, right? The boards, the basically blind boards for promotions. Like those people don't know you. 
they have your paperwork, they have the you know stuff that's written by your superiors, by your you know by other people that know you, but they don't know you. They're not able to. It's not a good old boys club. Um, I think that they're just like anything. There is negatives that come out of that system too, but I think that that's one big positive is you're not. It's you're not a face. Yeah, you're uh, you're your accomplishments. You're your personality tests. You're your basically your resume. Yeah, when you focus less on that, then it doesn't become an issue. But you know, to get back to the school thing in Florida, not to not to drag this out too long, but um, I think really what we're seeing is it's what we talk about all the time. It's it's the battle of personal responsibility versus daddy government, and that's what we're seeing. That's what this is. This is a this is a small microcosm of government thinking that they can do better than we can as human beings or as parents. And we're in the middle of a transition between government working for us and government being our parent. Yeah. Well, I mean, government's testing the waters. So basically they're going to throw out a narrative and then see, you know, who's going to basically suck that bait. And let's say you have a demographic that like, oh yeah, yeah, we are, you know, persecuted. And then all of a sudden they be, have this victim mentality versus taking personal responsibility. Then, all right. Then the government's like, wow, well, we got somebody who's willing to suck on the tit and we're just going to milk this out as long as we can. I mean, they did it with, you know, the Asians roughly what, a year ago and they didn't get the response they wanted. So all of a sudden you heard Asian lives matter just kind of like fizzle out. Right. Yeah. But guess what? The narrative that you're hearing right now basically are those people that are willing to say, yeah, and people might get pissed off at me for saying it, but who are willing to be willing to play the victims. Yeah. So, yeah, it just, no, no, people need to get their focus off that. Yeah. And it's the personal responsibility. We talk about it. It's, it's, you know, not, what was it uh, that it was in, Delan in Delaney's book? Um, not by my hand, but in my lap. You know, that's one of my favorite new ways to look at things is like, yeah, I might not have put myself here, but it's my responsibility to deal with it. Yeah. And that's that extreme personal responsibility that we talk about. Yeah. You got to play the cards that you're dealt. Yep. So hundred percent. Um, so one new thing that I wanted to talk about is this BFR training, this blood flow restriction training. So I came across this, <clears throat> um, I believe in an email and what this, this is training, is it? Nope. Nope. This is uh, this is for a limp for your limbs, but not that limb, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so what blood flow restriction training does is it actually closes off the vessels, but not the arteries in either your arms or your legs. And then what that does is that causes a bunch of compensatory mechanisms that increases strength gain and increases muscle gain without the extreme thrashing of your body that you would have to do to create the same mechanisms. So what you do is. You can do it with cuffs. You can do it with wraps. You can do it with in in the scientific studies that they've used. They use a pressurized cuff so they can pump it to a specific pressure so that they know exactly where they're at because they've had to study like, do you need full restriction? Do you need partial restriction? Do you need 40% restriction, 60% restriction, 80% restriction? What they found is somewhere between 40 to 80% restriction. So if you think of 10 as tight as you could tighten a, a stretchy cuff around your arm, you want to be at about half like 50 to 60%, like a five or a six versus a 10. Because what you want is you want the veins that take the blood out of the muscle to not be able to take the blood out of the muscle, but you want the arteries that bring the blood into the muscle to be able to bring all the blood into the muscle, right? Yeah. So you can get, 
you can get the nutrients and the oxygen and everything that the cells need in the muscle into the muscle, but it can't get rid of the lactic acid and the malic acid and all the other shit that builds up from doing a workout. Okay. So let's say arms here. You're going to put, you're going to put your cuffs on. You're going to put them as tight, kind of as tight to your shoulder as you can get it. It's going to, you know, it's kind of going to be below that shoulder muscle, but up way up in your armpit. You're going to tighten them up to like a six or, you know, four to six somewhere in there. And then you're going to do sets, high rep sets. So you're talking like 20 to 40% of your one rep max. And you're going to be doing like sets of 30 and then maybe 30 seconds off. And then a drop set to a set of 20, 25, and then another set of like 15. So let's say we'll use bicep curls in this situation. Or no, we'll use uh, a cable machine because that's that's kind of how I how I do it. So I've got two handles on a cable machine in a bicep stance and then two handles on a cable machine in a tricep stance, right? So I'm, I go back and forth. So I'll start where normally I'd be like up around 120 pounds on that machine. I'm down around like 60, 60 pounds, right? So we'll say like 50% one rep max. And that's not 120 is not one rep max, but it's close. And so I'll put that on and I'll start and I'll do 30 bicep curls on the, with the handles. And then I'll flip to the other side and I'll do 30 tricep pushdowns with the handles. And then I'll take 30 seconds off and then I'll do that again. So I'll do that like three times. And by the third set, like there's no way I can get 30. Usually I'm at like 15. Yeah. And then you'll rip those cuffs off. Everything breathes. But what they found is that it causes a ton of the... I can't remember what what it is, but a bunch of stuff is up elevated the way that it would be if you were doing like solid one rep max, three rep max, like heavy workouts with extreme intensity. Yeah. It causes the same amount of compensatory mechanism and it doesn't just cause it in the arm. It causes it in a bunch of the muscles around the area. So like it'll cause that in your shoulders. It'll cause that in your traps. It'll cause that in your chest. If you're doing it in your legs, it'll do it in your glutes. Yeah. Your you know, your inner groin, it'll do it in your abs and your pelvic muscles. Like it does it for a ton of different areas. Blood flow, it, not, not the anabolic tearing. So the thing here is the positive part is you're not getting the tears. So the way that they found this, this blood flow restriction training was through physical therapy. This was actually started as a, as a PT method to build muscle back up after damage. So the thing here is you could do this three days a week. Because you're not causing the anabolic tearing, but you're causing the compensatory mechanism that ca- that builds up the muscle after the tearing. Hmm. So look into that. So if you're so for you know, right when your birthday is tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, turn in the big uh, cinco cinquento. I don't know what fifty yeah, is in Spanish. It is. It's a half a century, <clears throat> right? So as you get older, your repairing of those tears gets slower. So this is something to think of doing more of as you get older, because you could do this three days a week. You could cause a lot of the muscle building and the strength building without causing the damage that takes way longer to heal from. Yeah. So how the hell am I supposed to do that with deadlifts? Get a, get a body one and no, you can't do it with deadlifts, <laughs> but you could do, you could do it with your legs that same day that you do deadlifts. And then the deadlifts are going to have a lot of that positive reaction from that. Yeah, I'd have to look it up, see how it's done on the uh, legs, because the um, yeah, there's there's a dude that's got him in the gym right now, but he walks around like you know the ultimate warrior because he's got one on each arm. Yeah, and he's not doing the specific workout. Yeah, he's just doing his whole workout with these things. Yeah, no, that, like tourniquets. That, yeah, that's not that's not the way to do it. So, but no, so the legs you would put it, you know, you would put it up same same um, 
right up at the four groin to six, area. Yeah, right up in the groin area. It goes under the under the glute, but up around. So it's cutting off the quads, the hamstrings, all of all of those muscles. It's cutting off the the flow out of those muscles. And then you would do light squats. So like how I did mine yesterday, I used it yesterday on my legs. Is I did a I did a build up to my four hundred five. Yeah. Without these on, I did my sets of four hundred five squats, and then I backed way back off to two twenty five. Put these on, and then did sets of fifteen with two twenty five, and then in between my sets of fifteen on two twenty five, I did like kind of like a jump lunge up and down the green turf area. So like that would be like the the real high rep, you know, like. And by two or three sets of that, like t- this is today is probably the sorest my legs have been in a while. Oh, really? Yeah. So you bought those things already? Yeah. Dang. You have to look into it. <sighs> but if you can. So in theory, if I wasn't doing the heavy stuff to build up to that, I could do that three days a week. Hmm. I'll have to try that. Versus when I go heavy on legs, it's once a week. Yeah. Like I'm not going, you know, I'm not doing 405, 455 twice a week. Like that's just not happening. Yeah. Hmm. It's not happening for me right now, man. I'm just getting old. Well, that's the thing. I was actually talking to my wife this morning. Like, I think it's probably time to work in another rest day. <laughs> it's taking a little longer to recover. Yeah. Right? It's it. And the intensity is not there when I'm going six, seven days a week. It's just not yeah. like I'll have good intense days, but then I'll have days where it's just like, uh, you know? Yeah. And so, I think I'll, I will come out better working in at least one more rest day and then yeah. keeping my intensity up on the days that I'm there. Oh, uh, no, that's good. I have an active rest day. We got summer coming up here in Wisconsin anyway. Oh, yeah. That's, which, I mean, uh, I'm moving, you know, yeah, I'm that's going to happen. I'm 10 to 20,000 steps a day. Like I'm active every day. So it's like yeah. an act. I don't, I'm not a sit around on the couch, take naps all day, rest day. Although I do take some naps and I love some fucking naps, but they're usually 20 minutes. Yeah. At around two o'clock in the afternoon. My Nappuccino. Wow. I have my Nappuccino. <laughs> well, I'd like to, you know, try to, if, if there's any of these electric surfboard places that want to sponsor us, I would what, just absolutely love that. What's an electric surfboard? Electric surfboard? Yeah. yeah tell me. So I'm a, I'm a surfer, which being in Wisconsin sucks ass, especially when I'm looking out the window right now. And yesterday was April Fool's. Everything turned back green again. Now today it looks like can win or wonder like middle out there of December. Again. I mean, we're sitting here watching a snowstorm out this window. Yeah. So, so I miss it. I miss it greatly. And the bad thing about surfing is, you know, it's great exercise. You kill yourself about 45 minutes, basically, you know, paddling in the waves, but you spend a lot of time looking for that wave. I mean, if you ever been out in the ocean and see all the surfers gathering together, everybody's mm-hmm. just trying to catch the wave. Well, now they've come out with the uh, electric surfboards or, quote, jet boards. And there's two different types. There's a foil that basically, it looks like a surfboard, but it elevates. So once this thing takes off, puts you about two feet above the water on this prop that it's it's just strange. Scientifically, I don't even know how that happens. I've seen these now that you say it. They're like six grand. Oh, six grand is cheap. Yeah, six grand is the low end. And you're getting up to about 15 grand for some of these jet boards. And then there's a lot of them that, you know, they're not like the foil. They're like a a real surfboard. And these things have, you know, a lithium battery you can swap in. Some of them are good for 45 minutes, the cheaper ones. And you get your higher cost ones that get you about an hour and a half. And then you get these 
little mini superchargers that you bring to the beach. So it's a whole different setup. But the thing is, you never have to wait for a wave. I mean, these things will go up to 25, 35 miles an hour on the water and are just So you can do it in the lake around here. Yeah, you could do a lake, you do a river. You could have a pond in your backyard and be catching waves and ripping it. Do you think this is something that we could invest in and buy and then rent out by like the half hour? You you, you could. Okay, you're you're, you're getting there. So, okay, so I'm, you know, we're diverting a little bit, but. um, That's fine. Whatever. So, you know, I I love the water. Yeah. And I'm contemplating in my head. It's like, you know, okay, do I want to buy a boat? Don't I want to buy a boat? Because now I'm an operations guy. So I'm looking at the ROI. I'm looking, okay, how much do I got to spend on a boat? Not just the actual cost of the boat, the upkeep of the boat. Because prior to this, I was just renting. Yeah. Because if I rent, it's like maybe one month's payment on a boat. Yeah. But I have a full day of it. I don't have to worry about it. They just pull it up. I hop in and boom and go. And you do that two, three times a summer. Boom, that's great. But the folks that buy a boat, when you had a boat, it's like, oh, shit. Do I got to get on that boat every weekend? Yeah. I got to make sure I get my return because we live in Wisconsin. By the time September hits, it's like, oh, got to put this thing away. So, uh, I was talking yesterday with the, uh, a, a boat club because one of my, um, three PL partners, you know, he's like, Hey, I, I just rent, I just joined this club and basically you can go all around the U S and just hop on a boat. So you get a four rolling, uh, um, reservations. And then if they have openings at some other ones, you just hop in, hop in a boat, drive around and then drop it back off and leave. So. But there's there's an initial cost like Zipcar, kind of like that, yeah, kind of like Zipcar, but for boats, which makes perfect sense. There's uh, Turo, I think, is for car for cars. I don't think there's an initial <clears throat> fee though. Oh, okay. Because the the boat club, the structure that I'm looking at, you know, be careful if you know. I'm not going to list the name of it, but it really is set up almost like a timeshare. Okay. So you got a pretty large initial fee. Yeah. But then you have a monthly payment and I'm okay. looking at that monthly payment. It's like, holy crap, I might as well just buy my own then yeah. and wheel it around. Yeah. That that was always our thought with the boat is we don't live on we don't live on the lake. If we lived on a lake where you could just jump in the boat and go. Oh yeah. Then then it's easy. If you have the boat at your house and you gotta drive twenty minutes, put the boat, you know, you gotta pack, get the boat ready, drive, get the boat in the water. It, it's a minimum hour, right? Yeah. And then by the time you do the after boating stuff, it's another hour. You got to store it. It's another hour. So it's two hours every time you want to go hang out on the boat versus the boat's in the water. You live on the water. You jump in and you go, you come back, right? Like it's a very different, but that was always our thought was like, we lived on the water. Yes. Not living on the water. We're not there yet. We're not to the point where we're like, it makes sense for us. Yeah. Unless I find one cheap and like I was looking at a jet boat the other day. And then once you do a little more research, because I'm like, oh, well, this is priced right. I could just buy this out, right? And, but then it's like, well, parts aren't available. Um, upkeep's less on those, but for the most part, the long-term investment wasn't there. I mean, it's pretty much just throwing your money away. We have some family that owns a boat with multiple people. So, like, it's always at the pier, oh, right? Yeah. That's but there's, big... you know, five families that own this boat. And they're just in communication as to who, you know, okay, Saturday, we're going to have it noon to five, right? Okay, sounds yeah. good. You know, and then kind of like a cabin. maintenance is split. Yeah. Upkeep is split. Like all that stuff is split five ways. Yeah. I've seen it where it works. And I've seen it where it doesn't work. It all depends on the people, I think. Right. So 
after looking at the pricing, which I'm not going to disclose, but if you want to know, just DM me. But otherwise, uh, yeah, those clubs are kind of a ripoff. Yeah. And I would probably just, like I said, rent this year. And I got some friends with boats. and But the jet board, man, that's tempting. I'm just. That's a big investment. But what I'm saying is if we buy two of them and we rent them out, pay for them, and we get to use them when we want. You know, but all the nice days, everybody's going to want to rent them out. I wonder how much replacement batteries are like if you could if you could run them for four hours, right? Because you're not going to want to sit there. on You're not going to want to be on yeah, it for four I hours. Checked it out. It's pretty, pretty pricey. That's that's the chunk of it right there is the battery. All right. Fair. All right. So. Next next point. All right. Let's get to this actual <laughs> podcast point, because this this podcast wasn't about Disney and jet boarding. This so was foil. If you want to sponsor this or anybody's got a tie to it, just uh, we'll at we'll at foil when we put this uh, when I post this. <laughs> there you go. Um, so this podcast is about giving. Um you are much more versed in this situation. I know I reached out to you and I'm like, Hey, like my family doesn't do enough of this and we want to, and you kind of sent me some links, but do you want to just introduce this podcast basically? Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it goes with the mindset of giving, which we've talked about a ton of times. We, I don't think we've ever really just uh, addressed it. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to give and a lot of it isn't because I'm just a giving person, which, you know, I want to disclaim that because, uh, um, somebody had told my kids once, like, well, your dad's just a philanthropist. I'm like, no, if you really knew my history, I'd probably be the last person that really is, is giving. But, um, you know, when I turn my life around, part of that is, yeah, part of the Christianity that I'm in is, you know, I feel led to, yeah, deny it's giving is denying yourself. And, and what can you do to make an impact for other people? What can you do to plant a seed? It's kind of like, you know, you talk about starting the podcast, right? Is how do I make an impact using a channel to help other people? And the biggest thing is, you know, I tell people is like, well, and we're in a men's group right now that that's talking about it. And there's a lot of people like, well, I'm just going to drive past somewhere and uh, put the checkbox in and volunteer. I'm going to sign up for something. And usually I tell people, it's like, well, don't, if you're just going to do it as a checkbox or feel that you have to do it, guess, guess what? If you sign up for somewhere and you don't have the passion for that, then it's going to last about a year and you're going to be kind of resentful that you've given your money to this organization because a lot of times volunteering isn't the fun social media posts. A lot of people volunteer now just so they can put posts on their board to say, hey, look, I mean, it's no different than a corporation that's like, hey, we want to be involved in this, but we want to get publicity from donating to your cause. So uh, I don't know if you want, you want me to start on. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, the question is that I always get is, well, how do I get involved in that? And I'm like, well, you got to do your research like everything else. Um, there's the one I use is Charity Watch and Charity Watch. I'll talk about the the main points you really have to look for when using like a charity watch or charity navigator to research the place or business organization that you want to belong to. Is this charitywatch.com? .org. Sorry. Got it. Charitywatch.org. Charity navigator is pretty good. Um, They both rank everything differently. Um, Charity navigator uses a star system that I think is decent, but charitywatch.org for me is one of the first items that, you know, I usually look for. So not only is you got to feel passionate towards something, not just for the tax deductions and don't realize it's just giving money, but it's also your time and talents, which I think you're probably 
looking at right now is like, what do I want to invest time in to help out? Yeah. And, and I'll get into that more as we, um, as we get through the points as to like the time versus money type stuff. Cause you know me, I'm going to have to nerd out on like the brain chemistry of how, oh, yeah. of how it works. <laughs> it goes back to you. So one, you got to realize it's not all fun. So when you're, when you're going to volunteer, guess what? There's a reason that there's a lack of volunteers is because a lot of the positions need to run infrastructure are not fun and you're not going to get paid for it. So that's why it's called being a volunteer. Uh, but the first thing when I look at an organization is, unfortunately, it's the finances of the organization. We hate to talk money, but you have to say, is it managed well? And when you're talking about is it managed well, I have to look at the, uh, it starts at the top is what's, what's the nonprofit salary? So if there's a CEO, president, vice president, what's the structure up there and what are they getting paid? You know, I'm going to take one that hits hard, hits home hard is, uh, um, the Warrior Foundation, Wounded Warrior, um, they're, they've improved quite a bit after they got their hands slapped and, you know, hands caught in the cookie jars. But when you're talking about what they were taking in and what was going out, and then you're talking about the salaries of the um, the sea levels, why we needed that many sea levels people in there, I don't know, at 300 to 400,000 base salary. Yep. But then you have to look at, okay, well, what are they giving themselves as bonuses? Because remember, when they get their base salary, they get taxed on that. But the bonuses, obviously, they do get taxed on that, but it's it's a whole different, you know, ballgame there. Um, so you really have to look at that. And the marker I use is, you know, when you're talking about overhead, 15% of all the expenses, all the overhead should be, or 15% of the expenses should be overhead. So anything more than that, you got to start questioning yourselves. I mean, you look at, for example, like uh, St. Jude's. Everybody knows St. Jude's, right? Yeah. Well, you want to guess how much the uh, CEO is making? Um, a, a, I could, I mean, I could make a, an uh, obscene guess, right? Like half a million, million dollars. But I want to know how much they spend on those mailings. <laughs> Holy shit. That's what I want to know. Oh, I, uh, I can tell you. Well. I will tell you that CEO is in the low millions for salary. Millions. Plural. Oh, good. So if you want to look at look up some of these in charitywatch.org and even, uh, you know, American Disabilities, uh, the Heart Association, you're going to look at some of these salaries and it's going to just pull you over. And you're going to ask, well, how much should they get paid? I mean, if you take a Ivy League, which doesn't mean anything, but if you took an Ivy League grad and you want that kind of talent to run that type of organization, generally they should be only at that high level, at that ratio. I mean, they're bringing in millions and millions and millions. Um, it should be around 400000 little, maybe a little bit over, plus incentives. But for a small organization, you may look at somebody making 100000 112000 but with incentive bonuses. You know, they have to meet a criteria to get that money um, because it has to balance out with the ratio of what the nonprofit's taking in. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the guideline that I would say. And I think uh, even I think Charity Navigator would probably agree. That's the guideline that they're looking at as far as grading. Kind of know. a kind of a percentage off of intake, right? Yeah. Like a percentage, um, you know, a certain percentage of the amount of money that's being donated should yeah. be going to these positions. And if it's way more, 
then you're robbing the so the the donations basically you're robbing the kitty your hand is in the cookie jar yeah it's like compassion international i mean everybody should really be asking because when you watch their commercial which one's compassion international is that the sarah mclaughlin in the background I think so with the kids. In the arms yeah. of the angel. Yes. So they get the saddest song in the saddest show. Saddest ever. The saddest kids just, you know, giving you this, you know, glum look. Yeah. If you don't choke up a little bit during those commercials, you're a fucking Satan. Yeah, exactly. And and they're like, well, give and only like a dollar a day helps those kids and blah, 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 blah. And then also you're like, OK, well, how much of that dollar divides up and how much gets there and how much goes to your overhead? And you got to understand, too, I know, I know 15% is a low guideline. It all depends on the organization how much marketing has to go in there. Because marketing, like you just said, St. Jude's is, well, how much goes in their mailings? A lot of the nonprofits have multi-million dollar, you know, mailing campaigns. And but your marketing still should only be a certain percentage of what you're bringing in. Because if you're spending too much marketing and you're not bringing more in, then your marketing isn't working. Exactly. Exactly. So... Yeah, marketing needs is what I have in here, but um, the results is ultimately what you need is you have to look, is it meeting its mission? Is is there data telling you that, hey, you know, we're Compassion International or, hey, we're St. Jude's. We've been doing this for 15 years. Here's our track record of here's our marketing spend. This is what we brought in and this is how much went to the actual mission itself, which shows what I call it is is impact measure. Oh, so that's what I was going to say is after we get after we get through and we figure out that out of that dollar, 60 cents is going right. Yeah. How do we judge how that 60 cents is being used? Yeah, exactly. So you have to do a deep dig. And I hate to tell you that, but it's just let's take veteran uh, um, nonprofits, for example. I mean, there's 40 some thousand of those out there now. And I guarantee there's only a fraction of those that started and are still following their mission. Because a lot of people get into nonprofits and all of a sudden they see the dollars coming in and they're going to pad their pockets. You know, it's sad to say. Um, but the biggest one is when you're doing your research is is governance. And this is where I have a lot of experience at is when you look at a charity, you know, is there an independent board structure, you know, or like the board of directors of all volunteers that is keeping that organization accountable? That is keeping that CEO accountable, that's setting the goals and reelecting, not having the same CEOs in place for, you know, 10 plus years, you know, soaking up other wallets. So, um, yeah, I've been a part of part of boards and people ask, well, you do that for, you know, for no money. I'm like, well, that's part of volunteering is that, you know, they need the people to be there to keep the organization accountable to figure out how much needs to be spent every year and then to figure out how many, you know, fundraisers that you need to raise these funds from. And, uh, and that's where I think a lot of people like to go to the fundraisers. Cause yeah, there's a lot of galas and people are like, Oh, it's for fancy people or whatnot. No, it's, it's not really you. It's part of the marketing. You got to invest yeah. some money into bringing people in to tell you about the program. And then these are the people, unfortunately that have money, obviously. I yeah, can't, I can't because you have money. Yeah, because you have money to donate. Right. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, it's not being exclusive. It's not being an elitist. It's just that. Yeah, guess what? Your businesses in the town or city that you live in have money. So you're going to say, hey, you know, sub zero. Here's an invite. You want to bring, you know, 10 of your, 
you know, top executives here and we're going to present this to you. And at the end of the night, or we have an auction. And from that, you know, you're hoping to glean out maybe 60 to a hundred thousand dollars a night to the organization. Or if you get these really huge galas, hopefully bring in, you know, two, three million, but it takes money to operate and it takes money to get, you know, basically. It's another marketing spend. Yeah. It's exactly. basically what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So when you get involved, I mean, there's, you can get involved with, like I said, programs uh, that I've failed in is uh, I'll say in Dane County, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, the area I live in is I've been involved a lot with the homeless because my passion is with, I, I know what it's like to be hungry. So when my, my real father was going downhill, I mean, we're taking food out of the dumpsters, you know, a Jack in the box in Chicago. And we were just wondering where we're going to get our next meal. And we were just having maybe one meal a day, which was like a piece of bread. And maybe if we're lucky, have some protein, you know, maybe meat once or twice a week. Um, so to me, I understand what that's like. So I always had a passion towards helping the homeless. But when I first started volunteering, I just thought, well, I'm just going to volunteer and just start giving. Right. Well, I didn't realize that it's like, well, some of these programs, these liberal programs, I don't want to label it liberal, but it is true. Uh, it's just a form of enablement. If you're just giving people, if you're just going in a street and just giving people something, it doesn't help them. It doesn't teach them anything. I know a lot of, a lot of churches do this where it's like, well, every Tuesday night we're going to pack a bunch of sack lunches and we're just going to feed the homeless. Well, I'm like, okay, well, you're, you're giving them a fish for a day. And guess what? 10 years later, and literally this is what it is in, you know, our area is 10 years later, all those people are still on the street. There's a lady that I helped out 10 years ago that's still on the street. She was still sitting on a park bench about three weeks ago. And you're just enabling them to learn how to use the system. You're enabling them to be like dependent on your good giving, your graciousness. So I got out of that, got involved in a board that had accountability. And then we built something local here, which was, you know, a shelter, shelter from the storm for specifically women, single women that were technically homeless because in our city, a lot of people don't realize that there's homelessness. People don't think that there's homelessness unless you see somebody on the side of the street begging, right? Well, homelessness also qualifies as, like in, in our city, there was roughly about uh, low 80s. So let's say one year was 82 kids that were sleeping in somebody else's couch, you know, or they were sleeping in their car. And, you know, basically we set up a program where they had to qualify, which meant, and I did this in another city before I got here, is you have to qualify people to be in that, whether it's homeless, whether it's, you know, uh, MS, whether it's whatever, pancreatic cancer, you have to qualify people to be in that program. And then what is, our program is always designed to, what do I need to do to teach them to get out of that situation? So like, on a, for example, for homeless, we had to create probably a 10 month program because that was the average of how long it took for somebody to build new habits. Because if you just said, oh, OK, well, here's here's a budget, follow it and go. They're going to end up back out in the street in like two weeks or not even probably a week. Yeah. And you have to teach them habits on how to budget their money. You have to teach them how to work and then you have to give them a little hand, get them set up a, a job, teaching them how to work as a line cook. Or, you know, working as a whatever administrator in an office. So 
So there's a lot of, unfortunately, yeah, rolling up your sleeves and working as a volunteer versus, you know, just showing up and I'm just going to wrap up one, a bunch of bags of rice and take a bunch of pictures for social media. And, oh, I just did my part and leave. So, so yeah, that's, so the four points for me is, you know, finances, um, you know, looking at the, it's, well, first, it's not all fun. Second is the finances. Third is uh, the governance. What kind of accountability does that program have? And then four is what's their impact? What's the measurables that you can look at? And then you can decide whether you want to involve putting your money into it and your time and talents, because your time is worth a hell of a lot more than the paper dollars that you're going to be throwing at them. Yeah. And, and, and so there, that kind of brings us into, um, my part here, which is the, the nerding out of what living a charitable life does for you yourself. Right. Because I guess my best explanation is, is if I told you, um, if you ate healthier, you'd lose weight. Pretty simple, right? Like, duh, duh. You know, it's one of those like, duh. Yeah. But it's simple, not easy. Okay. That's the same way as like, if you lived a charitable life, you would be happier. Well, duh. Same type of deal. Simple, but not easy. So how do we change the mindset? How do we shift the mindset towards that living the charitable life? Because living a charitable life doesn't just mean investing in a charity. It doesn't just mean donating your time. Sometimes it means little things, not sometimes, every day. It means being positive and having a positive influence on the people around you and living charitably with your kids, living charitably with the guy on the corner that you see every week. It means living charitably with everything that you do. And it's a positive mindset shift that you have to make to then all of a sudden be aware of what you're doing. So just take that with a grain of salt, guys, is like living charitably doesn't just mean donating money. It, there's a whole yeah. lot more to it and it's not easy, but it's simple. It's staying positive. It's keeping a good, healthy mindset towards the people that you encounter in a day. And it's regularly judging yourself on how you did today. Right? So if you look at your, if you look at your credit card statement at the end of the month, how much of that spending was just on you? How much of that spending was on you and someone else? And how much that spending was on nothing that had to do with you, right? Like that, that would be an easy judgment of yourself at the end of a month or at the end of a year. Okay. But then once we get into why, right, why give, if I spent that money on myself, wouldn't I feel better? And the answer is really no. Um, Money, we've talked about a ton here in this podcast, but money up to a certain amount elevates happiness to a level of comfort and lack of struggle. And then after that, it your happiness always settles back down to your base point of that number. And that number changes depending on what your way of life is and where you're at in the United States, but it's estimated yeah. to be about $70,000. So after that, after you hit that base level of happiness, then how do you use your money and your time to increase your own happiness? Well, that's what these researchers, um, Grafman and Moles, decided to go out and study in the, in the early 2000s. And what the Grafman and Moles did is they set up, there were two researchers, I can't remember what college they were from, but they set up these functional fMRI scans, right? 
And so they they put you in an, in, a, in an MRI. And what a functional MRI means is you're in an MRI machine that's measuring your brain activity, but it's measuring it while you're doing a function. So an, a functional MRI could legitimately just be measuring the brain activity of physical touch, right? And so they could measure your brain activity for 10 minutes, and then they could have someone come in and give you a massage for 10 minutes and measure your brain activity during that. And then it's comparative, right? What parts of the brain are being lit up? What part of the brains are turning off? And it's all these different things. And then we can take that and we can develop that into understanding how the brain works so that we can then reverse engineer things that improve it. And so what they did is they set up this study where they gave participants a certain amount of money and you could either keep that money or you could donate that money to charities right there in front of you. It was, it was a computer program where you could research charities that you liked. And when it was one that you were, you know, that you felt powerful about, or you felt emotional about, you could donate that money. And so what they did is, first of all, the people that kept the money, a lot of the brain centers were not lit up. It was just like, okay, I got money, right? But then they studied when the people gave the money away, what parts of the brain were lit up and what parts of the brain did that stimulate? And that stimulated the same parts of the brain. They're called the pleasure centers. It's the midbrain, the VTA and the subgenial area. And these areas are the same areas that are lit up in your brain when you have a great meal, when you think of a loved one or when you experience physical touch, like these are the pleasure centers of the brain. And those same parts of the brain were lit up when you gave money, right? So if we look at that, okay, we have to give the money, we have to be aware of giving it and we have to give it to something we're passionate about. Okay, so let's just look at the financial aspect of charity. There's a there's there's something that's happening and we're shifting towards this monthly fee society. We are. It's been happening for yeah. 20 years and we no longer purchase music, we pay for a subscription. We no longer purchase movies, we pay for a subscription. We no longer purchase software. We pay, pay for, for subscriptions. subscriptions. It sucks because you can't pirate anything now. Well, it, and, it, <laughs> and it sucks because you can't like, Get excuse me, licenses. let's see a suite, right? Like the Adobe suite. We yeah. use a lot. I use it for this podcast. I use it for a lot of the marketing. Like I've gotten good at it, but I could have lump sum purchased for $600 the Adobe suite. And I would use that until it just was not going to work anymore. Like we're talking years, yeah. right? Like I could pretty much do everything I needed. I didn't need the everyday updates, but I could pretty much do everything I needed for like, let's say five years. And then I would have to get a big ass chunk of money together and buy it again. That's not a thing anymore. You can't do that. Yeah. If I want it, I have to pay for that month. Yeah. It's cash flow. It's cash flow. Yeah. But so, so anyways, when you told me, if you would have told me 20 years ago that, that society was going to be like that, I'd laugh at you. No way. People are going to pay every single month to have access to their music. They want to buy their music and have their music. Yeah. Well, that's also happening to giving. So people are setting up these, you know, monthly dollar to this charity, monthly $10 to this charity. Well, that's good for the charity because they don't have to go out and f- it's cash flow for them, right? They don't have to go out and fundraise because they know they have a certain amount of money coming in. Yeah. And you're going to get some new people and you're going to get some people that fall off because they don't have the money anymore. But what that doesn't do is it doesn't have the positive impact on the person giving. Yeah. Because you forget about it. You ignore it. It comes out of your bank account. Maybe there's a way in there and this is not, this isn't, hadn't, hasn't been studied, but maybe there's a way in there where you would have to approve that, right? Like you get an email or a text 
where it's like, do you approve this donation? And you're going to hit yes. Right. Yeah. But at least that that lights up those signals in your brain. Maybe there's a way of that. Yeah. But realistically, you need to be conscious about that giving. Yeah. And so maybe, some, of these, some of these nonprofits are good at this. So like Compassion International, if you sign up or anything, or I think it's World Hunger also, uh, what they do is, okay, you set up your monthly deposit. And granted, I don't, I don't donate to Compassion or uh, World Hunger, but um, then what they'll do is they'll send you an update of your kid every month so that you can basically see, oh, your money is going to. So you can get yeah, the Pleasure Center ignition. Little Johnny here took a picture here, and he wouldn't have had this little pink lunchbox if you did not donate this dollar this month. That's good, right? Like I it's it's weird to say but that's a manipulation of that's a manipulation of our biochemistry and it's a positive manipulation of our biochemistry yeah. like versus uh cocaine or heroin. The yeah. reason that that is so addicting is because it elevates a lot of those same pleasure centers to a level that you cannot naturally achieve. Right. So the, looking at it as a charity, a positive manipulation of our biochemistry would be like. If you got a text every day from little Jimmy and was like, hey, just wanted to say thanks. I was able to eat lunch today. Right. Yeah. Like that would be huge. So maybe that's where like the Boys and Girls Club type stuff comes in or the Big Brother, Big Sister stuff like that. Like if you're involved, but financially. Get to get back to to get back to that is you need to be consciously understanding what you're giving. And it needs to be something that you are passionate about because if you're just giving to something, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole accountability movement in our country where you go and you find charities that you really don't agree with. Yeah. And you set it up where if you're not accountable, like if you don't lose that weight or you don't do those workouts or you don't read those books, you donate your own money to something you dislike, right? Like that's how negative it can be if you're donating money to something that you don't believe in. Yeah. Like the fact that it, they're using that for accountability. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like make sure that this is stuff that you are passionate about. And like you said, you're extremely passionate about feeding hungry people and getting them back on their feet because you lived through that. Right. I'm yeah. extremely passionate about children without good positive influences in their lives. And for me, it's not necessarily anything that I went through, but for me, the biggest thing is, is I see how powerful the influences can be in a developing mind, which to get back to the beginning of the podcast is also why daddy government is trying to step in because they know that if they can manipulate and become the most powerful person in the young child's life, then they will have them forever. Right. The, the Nazi Germany did this. Yeah, I was just going to say, what was that referred to? That was Nazi Germany did this. I mean, they understood. They they basically took kids and raised them to be Nazis. Yeah. But so make sure that whether it's time or money, it's something that you are actually passionate about. Yeah. And I mean, going going back to the, the Christian perspective here, too, is that, you know, I've talked about the uh, parable of the talents before, right? A couple of times. Yep. So that's a, that's in Matthew twenty five, and there's the parable of the talents, and then right after that is the uh, story of the what's called the sheep and the goats, and it's applicable whether it's a Christian perspective or whether you know someone's not a Christian because it talks about using your talents and your time and making an impact, but then the sheep and the goats kind of make it uh, give you an example of how life should be is 
you know, in the end, so, you know, for us Christians, in the end, we're looking at you're going to be standing before God and giving an account of your life. And how the sheep and the goats lays it out is, yeah, you can feed the hungry, you can, you know, clothe the naked, and you can, you know, visit the folks in prison and whatnot. But ultimately, when he's talking to the sheep, which, you know, sheep is a different thing than the not sheeple. Sheep, not, not the sheep, Not sheeple, got it. But sheep versus the goats, he's saying is that, when he's talking to them saying, hey, don't you remember when you clothed, you know, me? Don't you remember when you fed me? Don't you remember when, you know, you looked after me when I was ill? And the sheep are like, oh, we did? Because they, they didn't know. They just did it. It was just part of, like you said, their core values. And they just did it. They didn't do a checklist saying, oh, I did all my good deeds for the day. That was their lifestyle. And then the goats were, once they got in front of them, were like, well, didn't we do this in your name or didn't we do this or didn't we check that off? And then, uh, um, you know, God says, depart from me. I never knew you, you know, so people that don't have their heart in it and are just doing it just to, to look good or the Instagram model that, you know, wants to inspire you by taking pictures of herself every day is, you know, it's not part, it's, it's not a core, it's not an impact type of type of giving. So, you know, make sure that it's something like you said, is pa- you're passionate about because uh, then it'll just come out naturally and you don't have to be part of a big organization. You can be charitable in your own life. And to understand what you're passionate about, you need to understand your own values. And I think that we've talked about that with 50 different episodes of Squared Away is you need to know your values, like sit down this weekend and write down your top five core values. I have an app that it pops up on like a sticky note on my phone that reminds me every day of my core values. Yeah. No, oh, that's, that's awesome. I mean, it's uh, the big thing, the group, group of dudes that, you know, I meet with weekly, um, who are talking about giving and, and, you know, I'm not giving names, but you know, one dude's like, well, I'd like to give here, but I'm not sure if, you know, if I really want, if, if I'll set aside that, that much for funding, I'm like, you don't have to give your funds or your time. I mean, if there's a butt in there, then don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it because you're not, when you volunteer for something, it's not, you're not doing out of convenience. It's like, Ooh, I got five cents here. I'll just set aside for this. It's kind of your first fruits. It's, you know, I want to do this because I want to make an impact. So you're going to get out of your comfort zone. So volunteering isn't just, you know, and that's a biblical thing too. There's a story about, um, you know, God talks about there's a widow that basically comes into church and has one penny, right? And she gives that one penny and that's all she has. And there's a dude that comes in that comes in as a Lamborghini and, you know, he's throws 500 in the, in the God talked about a Lamborghini. Well, okay. <laughs> must have been a, the Lamborghini chariot I, I know, shows up I at know, church and uh, just mess with you. you know flips a five hundred bill in the uh, in the offering plate, and then God talks about it. it's like you know who gave the most, and they said, well, the guy with five hundred. No, it's the, the the lady that gave all that she had. So it just means that she didn't give out of she gave out of inconvenience, where it's almost like the giving till it hurts kind of deal, where the guy just. No drop in the 500. It was convenient for him. It didn't mean anything. And if you go back to the scientific uh, explanation, I mean, he's not getting the pleasure center. He's just making sure everybody sees that he dropped 500 bills in and boom. Okay. He's back, you know, in his own life. So to, to wrap it up, I think that this, this comes down to a lot of the other stuff we talk about. Like 
like our conversations that we have um, that could be taken poorly. Um, it all comes down to the intent. What is the intent of the giving? Yeah. Is the intent to improve people's lives and help the world? Or is the intent to make yourself feel good? Yeah. And if you can biohack your own brain chemistry to feel good from the intent of giving and improving the world, then you're going to do it a lot more and you're going to improve the world a lot more and you're going to give a lot more. Yeah. So I think that's where the, that's where the brain chemistry comes in. It's not because, Oh, I want to make sure I do this so that I feel good. It's, I want to make sure that I am doing this a lot and as much as I can. So I need to understand what I'm getting out of it so that I can make sure that, that that's happening. Yeah. And I just want to give props to, you know, there's a guy that, you know, is a perfect example, uh, Tim Kennedy. And he's a guy that's involved in quite a bit. But that philosophy that he has comes from the special forces. I think it's a good lesson for people to learn. If you're going to have a giving heart, if you're going to be charitable and it's going to be genuine, you have to learn how to, quote, deny yourself. You have to learn how to train and spend most of your life protecting training to protect other people, the guy on your left and the guy on your right. And when you have that mentality, guess what? You're, it's going to take you far in the, in the charitable world because that's, that's the heart that you need. So props to Tim. Awesome. I think that's a wrap guys. Um, thank you for a year of podcasting 52 episodes. Uh, I did hear an awesome Joe Rogan said that his podcast was in the red for five years before it ever like grew to a point where it paid for itself. Oh yeah. So that made me feel good. Like five, he was doing that for five years and just pulling money out of his pocket. Um, because we, we pull money out of our pocket and I pull money out of my pocket for this podcast every month. I pay for all the hosting and everything. And, and I don't do it because, um, I don't do it because I'm expecting this to ever become something, but it kind of, it leaves that carrot at the end of the stick that, if we do this long enough, maybe it'll touch enough people that it can become something. That's your dream, right? All right. That's a wrap. All right. <laughs>